Welcome to Night Light. Step away from the mainstream and gather around as we enlighten the world and our realities and travel this cosmic journey we call life. Join us as we share with you and provide that beacon that can guide us all to a better way. Explore with us as we examine a metaphysical montage of spiritual insights covering everything from the mundane to the magical, UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between. This is a time of awakening, of sharing and evolving, of spreading our wings and soaring on the cosmic breath of creation. Come and join with other light-minded spirits as we weave our lights together to seek understanding, enlightenment, and with a little luck, some wisdom. This is Nightlight, a reminder that you are never alone. to Nightlight. I want to thank Ken Quiethawk for his amazing intro. Please look for him on the internet under Native Storytellers. He has a fascinating story to tell and everyone should experience it. It's amazing. We have with us tonight um, Joanne DiMaggio and she was with us a while back and we went into her book on Karma Can Be a Pain. Um, <clears throat> had to read that because I keep putting other words into the title. And we have, we're going to be going into another one of her books called I Did It to Myself Again. And it answers questions like, what does it feel like to die? What does the afterlife look like? Who are the council of elders and how do they assist in planning your next life? Who are the members of your soul family and what role did they play in your past lives as well as your current life? What are the karmic issues and attributes you brought into this life? Using past life regression to identify a significant former life, followed by an exploration of afterlife to experience the pre-life planning session for this life, this book answers the most commonly asked questions about death and rebirth. We follow the karmic journey of 25 volunteers as they come to understand their soul's purpose, their role in designing their present lives, in thinking about your life, you'll discover that you did indeed do it to yourself for the greatest reason of all, for your soul's growth. Joanne was born and raised in Chicago, had a long career in marketing and public relations before pursuing a very successful freelance writing career. She's had hundreds of lecture of feature articles published in national and local newspapers, magazines, and websites. In 1987, she became actively involved with Edgar Cayce's Association for Research and Enlightenment. That would be the ARE. She earned her Master's in Transpersonal Studies degree through Atlantic University. Her thesis was on inspirational writing and served as the basis of her book, Soul Writing, Conversing with Your Higher Self. You can find Joanne and all of her stuff at www.joannedimaggio.com. So, 
without it, without that, without any further ado, welcome to the show, Joanne. Hi, Barbara. It's so good to be with you again. I'm looking forward to this very much. So I was fascinated by um, the Karma book, and um, <laughs> it, it left me with lots of questions of other things to look into. And then when you talked about this book about looking into the life between lives, it, it it made perfect sense to have you back again to talk about that because um, everybody in one way or another knows that they do plan their lifetime to a certain degree on a soul level. And um, every now and then, you know, I will sit down and say, I must have been drinking when I planned this, you know, or... <laughs> Just, just what kind of an, it, you know, did I have a checklist and say, oh, what the hell? Let me just check all the boxes and we'll do it all at once. I mean, <laughs> you, you, you don't understand on a terrestrial um, frame of, of, of consciousness exactly what it is your soul is going through. And you know, sometimes it's like, you know, I really want to challenge myself this way. What was I thinking? Um, comes up often, but. But, you know, it, it, I think the one thing that's really important, really upfront to say is that every lesson that we've set up for ourselves, every, every situation that we've manipulated has been because the spirit in love needs to grow and understand and expand in awareness. Nothing is ever done as a punishment. It's all done out of love. And if you see all of your challenges through those eyes, it doesn't, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't make them less, but it gives you a greater understanding of the fact that you need this. So, you know, why don't you embrace it and get it over with as fast as you can? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's one so, of the reasons I wrote the book was because in the um, 30-something years that I've been doing past life regression work, there was a common theme that I saw, and that was blame. You know, oh, it's all my parents' fault, it's all my spouse's fault or my children's fault. Um, Never realizing that it's nobody's fault. You set it up this way. There were specific issues you wanted to deal with, and these people, members of your soul family, came along to assist you, and that's why these things have come up, uh, you know, through relationship issues perhaps. Um, So uh, at the end of the... um, session they very much understood that this was something that they designed with a little help from some friends upstairs obviously but um mm-hmm. nonetheless it was it was their design for a very specific reason and it was to deal with the unresolved karma that they brought in with them as unfinished business in this life well it takes on a whole another um way of looking at difficulties in your life. So many people go to um, Freudian or Jungian um, analysts to try to figure out, you know, why something is happening, and usually it goes back to the fact that you were inappropriately potty trained, and it's all your parents' <laughs> fault. Yeah. But, but I like this process better, because it it says, okay, you know, I'm on a journey here, and I need this information. It's crucial for me to make it further on down the line and it's it it was fascinating to me how like you said there is no blame it's just explanation i needed this because 
this was an area that I, you know, did not have enough information on or I wasn't experienced enough in or or I have been avoiding it for the last, you know, thousand lifetimes and it's about time I hit it this lifetime. And and it just, it was amazing. Now, you, you had 36 people that were in this study. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. How did you, how did you... You you ha- you had already done a past life a, a, a successful past life exploration with them, so you knew they had at least one past life. Is that it? No. Well, they we we did both simultaneously. So in other words, they came in. Um, we started uh, with the regression first, uh, and. Um, we explored the significant events that happened in the past life that was most impacting them today. So, you know, you've had hundreds of past lives, but you're not working on issues from all of those. So it was as if we were looking to see, you know, if you think of Earth as a school, what courses did you complete? What courses do you still need to take? What courses do you need to uh, repeat? Um, and that's all vital information so they can select the right circumstances for the next life. So um, I, when we, I started with the regression, and I led them to the past life that's most impacting them now um, because it was important for me and them to identify the origin of the karmic issues, what created them, who was involved, and why weren't they resolved. And uh, it was very surprising to me of the 25 people that I highlighted in my research study, in my statistical data, um, quite a few of them uh, went back uh, over a thousand, like 25% of them went back to a lifetime that occurred uh, at least a thousand years ago. So um, it wasn't like it was a consecutive thing like, oh, well, maybe I had a lifetime you know, in the early 1900s, um, and now here I'm back and I'm dealing with something that happened then. No, that wasn't the case at all. Some of these people went back all the way back to, like, Atlantis even. Uh, And, um, you know, about 36% were in the 19th century, and uh, the the rest were anywhere between the 12th century and the 20th century. Um, But it was seldom a consecutive timeline. Um, so the reason for that is that the soul chooses, uh, you know, when you're working on thinking, well, I'm going to come back and I'm going to deal with this particular issue, you're looking at what is going to be the socioeconomic situation I'm going to be born into. Um, you know, what religion will I be? What nationality will I be? What country will I be living in? Um you know, what's going to be my financial status? What education am I going to get? All of that gets factored in when you when you decide to come in and you and you choose your parents. And, of course, that and, and your soul family, all of that is outlined in the book as to how that all comes together. Well, if, if that's the case, then if we have hundreds, thousands of lifetimes, then there's, there's no telling. Um, Each lifetime at the moment of death, you you have you know written in your book. Each time at the moment of death, you basically your last thoughts help to set up the the next lifetime. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, let me give you an example of that. I had a woman okay. who came to me with head-to-toe psoriasis, and she wanted to know uh, why does she have this. She couldn't, she didn't uh, understand the origin of it. You know, she exhausted all of the current uh, medical theories and and uh, diagnoses and all of that. And so she went back to a lifetime in the Old West in which she was a call girl. And when I asked her, what were your last thoughts as your soul left your body? She said, I don't want to be touched anymore. So in this life, she creates a life in which she has the skin uh, disease and nobody wants to touch her. So it's that powerful. And I'm sure at the time that she made that comment, in her in her life in the old west she had no idea that she was going to set this up because this was something you know that that she obviously had to deal with and so she manifests the skin condition in order to deal with that whole issue of being touched so um it's very powerful and i will tell you that everybody um uh mostly uh offering thoughts of fear and regret uh, I should have loved more, I should have done more, I abused opportunities, I wasn't kind enough, I need to make retribution. These are typical of the last thoughts that people have, but they form then the foundation for the next lifetime. So, um, or, or the, you know, and, and it comes up in whatever time frame that they decide this is a good time for me to work on this. So people who say I should have loved more, if that's their last thought when they're dying, you can bet money that in that next lifetime they're going to be working on the issue of loving more. Um, So those thoughts are very, very powerful, and and, uh, that's why I specifically asked them to tell me what they were thinking at that moment that their soul transitioned out of that body and headed for the afterlife. What were the what was the last thing you were thinking when when that happened? And um and so it's very, very powerful and um pretty surprising too of some of the things that people said. Oh I, yeah. I know that <clears throat> when I was reading when I was reading your book, you mentioned um a a movie. Um I can't remember the name of it. Um where they were on a tram and they were going to the center and it was... Oh, um, yeah, Defending Your Life with uh, Meryl Streep and Albert Brooks, I, yeah. Yeah, I put the book down and I watched the movie. Um, <laughs> because I had remembered the movie and I just had forgotten what the title of it was and I had to put the book down and go watch the movie again because it was it was a movie that really impacted me to a great degree. And yeah. so... So you and you know, and you lot. know that, and and Hollywood is like very seldom do they get it right. Yeah, <laughs> when they're trying to illustrate these these things to the to a mainstream audience, but that that particular movie hit it right on the head. Yeah, that's that's what fascinated me. Um, in in a lot of um, I, I've done I've done interviews with a lot of people who've had near death experiences, and so. Mm-hmm. I'm very familiar with what they experience at the moment of death, and you took you took all of these people through that moment of death, and I think that that 
the descriptions they gave were just absolutely amazing. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, something that we should really kind of go over a little bit because so many people, you know, wonder. And, you know, we, we can't, mm-hmm. you know, knock on a coffin and say, tell me what it was like, you know. So, yeah, so, so, yeah. So well, that was really... Re- go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, that was really important for me to explore because, you know, I'd always heard that people said, well, it's easier to be born. Uh, no, it's easier to die than it is to be born. And yeah. I thought, well, what does that mean? And I thought, with so many people so fearful of of uh, dying, um, wouldn't it be, if you had 25 perfect strangers, tell you what their death experience was like and if by some chance their their description overlapped and they were all saying basically the same thing then wouldn't you then have comfort in what they're saying to you you know now of course i ran the risk of maybe them saying it was the most horrendous they ever had but in fact um uh, it wasn't that way at all. I mean, they were talking about this in, this incredible sense of freedom. Um, they said it was a gentle and painless process. Uh, you know, uh, even people that suffered a traumatic death, and this surprised me, those that suffered a traumatic, meaning, you know, something really horrendous, tortured to death or whipped to death or mm-hmm. uh, something like that, they said that their body left I mean, their soul left their body before the physical death even occurred. So they didn't, and I had heard that about Joan of Arc. So, because I always thought, oh, what a horrible, horrible way to die. And yet, you know, I, I was, I've learned that her soul actually just w- was popped out of that body. So there was no physical experience for her. So, you know, some of them said that they felt like they just popped out of their body. Some said it was like a hard yank out of their body. But um, but I I was really drawn to the um, what um, Glenn Willison and Judith Johnstone wrote in Discovering Your Past Lives, and they said that one of the most profound responses to past life regression is that it inevitably relieves the fear of death. And they said, without exception, death's experienced in regression as a painless withdrawal from the final moment of life. So in my going in and talking to 25 people, none of whom knew each other, and they're all basically saying the same thing, I thought, what a comfort this information would be to someone who is, um, you know, uh, afraid of dying. Well, it's the end of a, a life and then the beginning of another one. And when you when you were talking about that, it reminded me of a a TV series that was on a long time ago with Manny Patinkin called Dead Like Me. Mm-hmm. And and they were they were um, people they were souls that were dead but still here on Earth, and their jobs was to take the soul out of the body before the actual death occurred. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. The, the whole se- it was it was a fascinating series, but it is the same thing here. It's like, you know, you're withdrawn before there is any trauma or any fear or any pain or any anything. So that mm-hmm. it is a, it, it is a peaceful transition even though sometimes right. it may not look it. Um Right. 
And and with all of the people that I talked to that had near-death experiences, they said the same thing. There, there was, you know, there were different perceptions as to, you know, what what one would expect, you know, the pearly gates in St. Peter or, you know, a tunnel with a light at the end of it. And um, I, one person I remember said that, you know, that it, it was dark, but it was a comfortable darkness. It was a... It was a comforting feeling of of being protected, kind of like what mm-hmm. in the womb was like, I guess. And mm-hmm. you know, I never, in, in any of the near death experiences that you know that I have spoken to people about, nobody ever had, you know, purgatory or flames or demons, oh, no. or devils, you know, nothing, no. n- nothing. Right, like that. nobody. Right, nobody ever talked about that, and you know, they just really referred to the afterlife as a shift of frequency. Um, you know, they just felt like they were swirling energy that when they were traveling with ease, very fast and far, or some said it was a sense of floating or flying and uh, just uh, a higher level of consciousness. So, yeah, there was no mention at all um, of a heaven or a hell. And I, I actually got into that a little bit when I asked them, um, did they see some sort of a gateway? Like when you first go to the afterlife, you know what is what is that like? Do was Saint Peter really at the pearly gate? You know, I always, <laughs> as a Catholic, I always thought of growing up. I always thought of this picture of Saint Peter standing there by a lectern with a big book and all these people lining up that had just passed over. And you know, you go up to him and he goes, "Okay, you go to the left and you go to the right." Yeah. And so, uh, you know, I thought, "Wow, is that is that really how it works?" Because that has to be really, you know terrifying and um you know nobody saw saint peter (laughs) uh i asked if they did see some sort of a starting point like a gateway or um you know uh, a check-in station or something like that a portal yeah and they all said they had a starting point but they said it was um uh if they went on a path it was devoid of structures um, mm-hmm. Some said they were just mulling around on the air, and some of them cre- actually created uh, whatever they they wanted to see. So they would create a chalet or a, an ancient Greek or Roman structure, um, because one of the things I found out very quickly is that when you're in the afterlife, all you have to do is think about something and you manifest it. So um, uh, that sort of um, was in play not only when they're in this gateway, when they're kind of checking in as a soul, like, hi, I'm here now, um, <laughs> but also what their uh, what their home was like in spirit world. You know, what, what, what was their home base like? Um, and um, many of them created that. They um, Some of them recreated the neighborhood that they had lived in when they were alive. Some of them wanted furniture from their previous homes into a home in the afterlife. Some of them just wanted to be in a simple log cabin or a pasture in the Alps, and others wanted to be in an ancient city or a temple. So it was, um, you know, they were able to create any reality that they wanted. So it wasn't unusual if they wanted to spend time in their off periods in the houses that they lived on on the earth. So that, just, I thought you, that was you interesting. You brought up you you brought in off time frame. So, I mean, were they met by someone, or were they 
Yes, they were. They... Well, well, some of them said they were. I, I called it a debriefing session. I asked them if anybody was waiting for them. And um, uh, so I said, you know, is like, is there a welcome home committee of some sort? Uh, <laughs> 80, and uh, 88% of, said they were greeted by a guide of some sort. Um, and they said they felt welcomed and safe. There was a sense of joy of reconnecting, uh, this compassionate love. Um, the, they recognized the guide waiting for them. Um, and most of them, like I said, they had guides waiting for them, but 12% uh, had no one waiting for them. And of that 12%, um, on a human side, I was, as I'm doing this session, and they're saying, no, there's nobody there waiting for me. I felt so sorry for them. And I, I thought, you know, but they didn't seem to be upset. And they go, look, I've done this so many times. I don't need a guide. I don't need somebody here to welcome me or to tell me where I'm supposed to go. I know where to go. I instinctively know where to go. So they were fine with it. They were fine that nobody was there. And they just uh, sort of pushed through and, like, you know, you see them like, get out of my way, I know where I'm going, you know, yeah. heading to wherever it was that they were going uh, to their orientation session, which is like their, their debriefing, um, that um, many of them, said, about 84% said they did have a debriefing, uh, which meant basically that they sat down with their guide uh, in a designated area. Some said that it was in a garden, others said they were on temple steps or in a classroom and then they would have um their guide would give them a welcome message and then they would have a conversation of sort of a Q&A uh in mm-hmm. which they would go over that last lifetime and the soul would be able to address the guide and ask you know what the heck was that all about you know um especially those who felt that oh what a wasted life that was or i I could have done better, or, or why did that happen to me, or, or whatever they were thinking, you know, they were able to work it out and have a conversation. And they were, you know, received compassionate explanation uh, and advice about about the life that was just completed, sort of getting a little pat on the head and a, a hug from the guide saying, you did really well, you know, and, and this is why these things happened. And just kind of going over it with, with them and uh, before they then go on to be in their spirit home. Well, now, when, when it, I, have a, I have a spiritualist background, and so according to the spiritualist church, and I'm not saying this is what I adhere to, it's just that this is the only place I've had any sort of um, information as to they say that you spend at least a hundred earth years on the other side but in, in my understanding on the other side there is no time frame so it's hard to right. know you know so before, you know after you're debriefed and before you start planning the next life what do you do well um you meet with your uh, the Council of Elders, you go over um, the previous lifetime. You, it's like it's like meeting with your guidance counselors at school, uh-huh. you know. And um, so you have a curriculum that you're developing for your next level of classes. And they kind of go through it and look at all your lifetime report cards. 
and you'll say, okay, well, you you need to repeat this, or you know, we need to, you haven't taken this particular class yet, you know, uh, or or whatever, and then uh, they help you devise a curriculum that you'll be taking in with you into the next lifetime. So there's that sort of planning. You also work extensively with your soul members of your soul family. Uh, you know, you pick out your parents. You you uh, devise a soul's mission statement. Um, you know, you work on getting these memory triggers. There's a lot that goes on. But, yes, there is no time frame in spirit. Um, so it's not like you could say, oh, what am I going to do for 100 years? Um, yeah. <laughs> it's not that way at all. Um, my studies have shown that there's anywhere from 50 to 200 years between lifetimes on earth with the exception of those who uh, commit suicide or who are killed prematurely such as in a war uh, Mm -hmm. or they're murdered those souls come back almost immediately yeah so there's um you know they they don't they're anxious to get back to finish because it's like dropping out of school if you continue with the school analogy it's like dropping out you didn't finish the class. You've got to go back and finish it. So they they tend to come back uh, right away. And it's interesting when group when there's a group incarnation that you can identify. I know years ago there was a whole group of resurgence and in interest in the '60s, from the tie dye clothing to the music uh, and everything. And um, there was. Um, quite an influx of souls that had died in the Vietnam War who came back um, and had reached maturity, which is why there was that resurgence at that particular time. But, um, yeah, so it just depends on, and and also, you know, there's a lot of factors that go into choosing to come back. You've got to get all your ducks in a row and uh, find the right parents and the right, environment to be born into so that you can make the most of that life and work on whatever issues that you're going to need to work on. Well, do you you create a mission statement first and then look for, you know, parents? Um, Yes. I would say that's the order it it goes into. Um, uh, you work with your el- the council of elders first. Um, you dis- you make a list of your karmic issues. These are the things you still need to work on. Then you make a list of your karmic attributes. These are the characteristics, qualities that you've already accomplished. They're in your plus column, uh, and you're going to use those to help you uh, with those karmic issues. Um, and then you create an ideal, which is something that Edgar Casey talked a lot about in his. Uh, readings about an ideal uh, for you set an ideal for your life in other words this is the purpose and by the time we got to this point in my session with people because these sessions ran about three hours uh, so by the time we got here they they were very very clear about what their soul's mission was going to be it wasn't something that they had to really sit and think about um, you know, they said, I'm here to be a teacher of peace. I'm here to spread unconditional love. I'm here to help people living with challenges. It was a very succinct um, statement. So, like, my ideal is to inspire and empower through the written word. 
So everything that I do in my life is measured against that soul's mission. So I don't always remember this and I don't always do this. It's like one of those things like do as I say, not as I do. (laughs) But it's like, um, you know, I tend to go on these detours a lot, but it always sort of brings me right back to to, uh, empower, try work toward empowering and inspiring through the written word, which is why I'm here. But everybody, uh, you know, was very easily um, came up with their own mission statement. And once they did that, everything made perfect sense to them because now they knew where to focus their attention and their energy. You know, if they were here to be a healer, then they were going to do what they needed to do after our session to embrace that about themselves. So um, it, it was really uh, one of those aha moments that their souls had when um, when we walked through that particular exercise. So when they went through the the past life that most was influencing this life, uh-huh. and then they they understood what what they had set up for this life to be worked upon. Mm-hmm. So, so basically, they got the roadmap for this lifetime. They did. Mm-hmm. They did. They got everything they needed. But, of course, you come into life and you don't remember any of that. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why we have memory triggers. Um, and that was almost like the last thing that we worked on. Uh, so I don't want to jump ahead, but um, basically um, that was embedded in their soul to remind them of that past life. Um, And if you were aware enough, when those things come up, uh, you would get a flash to that past life that you had and then realize that what you're dealing with is coming from that lifetime. So, um, Well, yeah, no, the, the triggers are something that fascinated me tremendously. Mm-hmm. And um, a trigger could be a word or a situation or a synchronicity. It could be a lot of different things. Um, exactly. Mm-hmm. How, how, it's mostly like a, a deja vu experience, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so how would you explain to someone who doesn't understand what, what a trigger is, that how, how would... How would someone recognize a trigger as it occurred in their life? Well, it would be like like with a deja vu experience. So that's an inexplicable feeling of having been somewhere before or having known someone before but not knowing where or when. Uh-huh. So um, Dr. Michael Newton said when people feel deja vu or synchronicity about certain events that they can't explain in this life, it's possible that, that these sensations are reminders of their memory triggers. So oftentimes they're intangible things, like you have a certain resonance with a particular country or a historic locale or a historic time period or different landscapes or seascapes or colors or crystals or numbers or certain music, uh, books or films or people. Something... Uh, when you encounter them or it, uh, will send a, a sensation through your body 
and you'll have this sense like where have I heard this before? Where have I seen this before? Or this aroma takes me back, but I don't know where I'm going. Like when I was growing up, um, I was fascinated with anything and everything dealing with the 18th century. I couldn't get enough of it. Uh, and as a child, I I was um, actually uh, manifesting that that interest in terms of uh, you know, I'd like to listen to Baroque music and wear my hair in ringlets and write with a feather pen uh, and um, watch period pieces. I'd go to the library and I'd get books on Abigail Adams and Dowling Madison. Well, where was that coming from? I grew up in a blue-collar neighborhood in Chicago. This was not normal uh, for a child to be so uh, so totally um fascinated with uh there, there was no logical explanation for it and that's what a memory trigger all of those things that were happening to me and they continued through high school and college they were all meant to to uh awaken in me the memory of that 18th century past life that i was working on that i brought in to this life to work on so everybody has these they just don't they don't stop to think about them or or understand that that's what they are. They just think, oh, you know, gee, I really like going to Wyoming every year for vacation. Why is that? There's a reason, right? But, mm-hmm. you know, it's not just because it's beautiful or maybe that's not a good example. But, like, I used to love anything historic. So, you know, coming to Virginia, where I eventually moved, was like coming home to me. This felt like home. Chicago never felt like home. I was so feeling alienated there. I would look at my parents and people around me in the neighborhood. I'm, where am I? Who are you people? <laughs> and it wasn't yeah. until, you know, when I was in college, um, I majored in, what do you think, history. So I had a history professor, a U.S. Constitution professor, um, and we had to write essays and he called me in his office, and he just kind of stared me down, and he said, you know, you have the most uncanny feel for the 18th century of any student I've ever had. And I thought, you know, I do, but I didn't know why. So mm-hmm. I think that that's, that's not unusual for other people to have those kinds of experiences, you know, where you instinctively know I'm in the wrong place. This is not home. This doesn't feel right yeah. to me. You know, um, so when I first came to Virginia right after college to visit all those uncanny places that my history professor said I had this feel for, um, Virginia felt like home. I actually had a physical experience uh, uh, when I came here that, you know, I couldn't explain. Uh, and then I went all up the eastern seaboard. I went to all the historic places between uh, Virginia and Massachusetts, and it never happened that physical response to the area never happened in any other place but Virginia. So I thought, oh, there's something going on here. But again, you know, I mean, I had read books about Ed Casey and um, I had read um, reincarnation-related books as a teenager, but I didn't put two and two together at that point in time. Um, I wish I had because I would have gotten a massive (laughs) jump on all this work that I ended up doing. But um, but that didn't happen until Shirley MacLaine's out on a limb in 1987. So, but yeah, that's what the memory triggers do for us. They're just reminders yeah, of a past life. That's I had one 
just recently. Um, I've always lived in the Northeast. I mean, I'm a, I'm a New Yorker by by birth and stuff. And being on the coast and being near the ocean was always important to me. And so, as a result, a year ago, I moved to Tennessee. Um, <laughs> this, is, this is where my son lives. A bit, a bit landlocked there, aren't we? <laughs> terribly. And, and you know, it, I never questioned the move. Mm-hmm. And and at any other point in time in my life, I would have said, I have to be on the coast. I have to be near the ocean. But I suddenly, my son came by for dinner, and I said, I think it's time I moved. And he said, where to? And I said, Nashville. And he said, well, I didn't see that coming. And so <laughs> it took yeah. me a year and a half to sell my house in Connecticut and find a condo here, and I found it like they they I, I looked for a year and a half, and they lowered the price on this one. I called my son. I said, "That's it, buy it." And he said, "Do you mm-hmm. want to fly down here?" And I said, "Nope, just buy it. That's it." And I moved in, and mm-hmm. um, there is in my backyard uh, a cemetery, which oh, delights wow. me. It's an old cemetery. I was thrilled. <laughs> And and I asked around. I said, you know, how old is the cemetery? And they said it's two hundred years old. Are you wow. are you freaked? And I said, no, I think it's fabulous. And I, you know, the the, the headstones were so old that you could barely read anything. But there mm-hmm. was one you could read, and it was Thomas F. Smiley, and it gave his his dates. And so um, I have a friend who does genealogy, and so just for the heck of it, we played with it, and it turns out that. Um, he was in the early 1800s, and it turned out that he had a sister named Hattie, and Hattie married a man, are you ready for this, whose name was Thomas, no, Aaron DeLong. Whoa. He was an ancestor of mine. Ha! Huh. Ha! Huh. Spirit <laughs> led you right there. <laughs> and, yeah. and and put a dead relative in my backyard to prove it. Put a dead relative oh. in your yard. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, it, as synchronicities go, that's one of the best I've had in a long time. <laughs> I'll say, yeah. It was kind of, kind of like you know, you're supposed to be here. Family is here. Mm-hmm. Your family, and you are not a northerner. You're a southerner by marriage. So, uh-huh. um, I, yeah, I used to say my, uh, my uh, heart, my my body was born in the north, but my soul was in the south um but uh because i was always you know my family growing up in you know in chicago they're like oh if you move to the south you know um they hate yankees you're going to be in trouble and i'm like i'm not a, that doesn't even never occurred to me that something like you know would happen like that so but the few times that it did come up because you know you've got this very obvious yeah. unsouthern accent uh, that's what I would say, and then they would smile, and it would be okay. <laughs> so, because uh, you know, my last three lives, no, two lives were here in Virginia. So, to me, I I came home. You know, I, I yeah. felt like this was home. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I got yeah. the same thing about you know they hate Northerners, and I, you know, they may, but they like me. You know, I mean. <laughs> Um, yeah. it's it's like I still miss the ocean, but 
you know, as far as a living situation, I couldn't be happier. That's yeah, that's good. I'll, yeah. get, I'll have somebody send me some salt water sometime, but um, <sighs> other than that, you know, I mean, actually, yeah. if the ocean ever came this far, and and if the New Madrid fault line decides to open up, I could have waterfront property. So you there never you know. Go. Never know. No. Nope. Not going to hope for that at all. No. But, but, <laughs> but these 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 memory triggers. Do we scatter them? throughout the life or are they they don't all manifest at the same time you know the timing might not be like when when uh, my parents moved to Arizona to retire um, when I would go out to visit them and I was driving uh, my father was amazed he'd say to me I don't understand why you never get lost out here I know you've never, you know, you've never been here before. Why don't you get lost? I said, I don't know. I just know where to go. Um, and if I didn't live in Virginia, I definitely would live in Arizona because my soul calls me there as mm-hmm. well. Um, and really pulled by the Native American uh, life lifestyles and, and teachings and beliefs. Uh, so I've often thought, you know, that uh, when I was finished here, in Virginia that I'd, I'd end up in Arizona and, and study shamanism, but I don't know that I'm going to have uh, enough time in this life to pack in everything. So, Well, you pack in as much as, you'll get in as much as you're supposed to get in, actually, is what it comes down to. Excuse uh, me. Bless you, bless you, bless you. Thank you, thank you. So, sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> I tried to hold that off as long as I could. <laughs> uh, uh, oh, well. Listen, you're... I, I'm suffering from the pollen as well. So, the allergies you know, are just awful. Yeah, yeah. They are. And and <clears throat> even when you try to avoid going outside, you can't help but, you know, it sneaks in and gets you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So yeah. so when when you are are working on the how – about, how about things like I, – I think people, if they just were more – observant as to their own inclinations and the things they're drawn to. Um, mm-hmm. I have always wanted to play the piano. I, I can mm-hmm. play the piano, and, I, and, and, I've, and I, had le- I had maybe ten lessons when I was in the fifth grade, so it doesn't count. But I've always, my hands have always felt like they should be playing the piano. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it's not too late, and I know I can get a keyboard, and I know I can take lessons. But it feels like I have played the piano in past lifetimes. Uh-huh. And yeah. is that the kind of thing that you're looking for? I mean, I've done needlepoint, I've done knitting, I've done lots of intricate work with my hands, but always it goes back to I should be playing the piano. Yeah, I think that um, a lot of those skills, talents, and abilities that we've acquired in other lifetimes, we carry those with us. So those are ours for all time. So I say they go into this positive karmic bank account. Um, Many times you might see a young child who can sit at the age of three or four and, you know, play Mozart flawlessly and of course, then you know people will say, "Oh, he or she is an old soul." Well, yeah. that isn't necessarily true because, as far as I'm concerned, there is no such thing as an old soul. 
we were all created at the same time. The difference mm-hmm. is that some of us have chosen to come to Earth much more frequently than other souls, and therefore we have acquired a lot of talent, skills, and abilities that you can only acquire on the Earth, and we remember those when we come in, and it just gives us the appearance of being a wise old sage when we're really just a child. Um, so those are all things to consider um, because not all lifetimes are traumatic and people think of karma always as, oh, something bad, you know, someone being punished for something and it isn't that at all because the basic definition of karma is just cause and effect. You did uh-huh. something and now to balance out the the scale, you know, um, y- you have to resolve that issue in some way, shape, or form. So um, it can mean an eye for an eye. That's like the basic definition of it, but not necessarily. But we can think of karma also as having these incredible gifts that we brought in. So people who are natural healers have accomplished that ability in another lifetime and they just brought it in with them now whether they choose to use it in this life or is up to them i have many many clients who come to me and say i feel like i should be a healer uh, but something is blocking me and that's where the regression comes in because then they can go back and see where did this first come up when when did you first discover you had a talent for healing and what happened? Well, most of them will say that they were persecuted in some way for having been a healer. And now when they think that they want, you know, they come in and they want to do that work again, on a subconscious level, there's something that blocks them. It's an obstacle. And that's the memory of having been persecuted. So when we go back and we see the events that happened in which this persecution took place, um, then they can move past that, move through that, and remove that obstacle, and they can go on to do the healing work uh, in this life that they choose to do. Now, sometimes people, um, when when it comes to gifts, talents, and skills, and things like that, or or areas, there there is a difference, is there not, um, between what your soul has experienced as opposed to your genetic family. Exactly. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah, I I my listen, my husband is all about the DNA, the genealogy, and I've said to him repeatedly, I said you got to do a lot more than take a, a a swab of your cheek to find out what your soul's journey is about. Because like mm-hmm. Dr. Newton in his work um, you know, he was the great pioneer in life between life work, you know, and he said that it was very seldom that um uh that our that we incarnate in our in the same biological family. Um uh so uh you know, it it's just it, we we choose different people because and different families to enable us to uh you know experience all aspects of of uh of life so to be a different uh race 
a different gender, a different, live in a different country, grow up in a different religion or a different political leaning, whatever. Um, those are all things that, that are best done, uh, you know, through through a different uh a different family. I was trying to remember where um oh yeah, Dr. Newton had a, a quote. Um he said the former bodies we had in prior lives are almost never genetically related to our current family. Um Edgar Casey even said in, in his readings, he said you have inherited most from yourself, not from your family. Uh-huh. Uh, so, um, yeah, and we were yet. having this discussion over dinner the other night with some friends, and uh, um, it's sort of a hard uh, concept um, because you just maybe, if you haven't been doing this work, you just assume that if you go back in, in your um, genetic uh family tree that you could have been one of those people and that's not necessarily the case like i said it's very rare to to reincarnate in the same uh, the same genetic family and yet you do reincarnate in the same soul family or pod yeah. mm-hmm. so so how large are the soul families and or pods well, I, I mean, number-wise, I don't know, um, uh, but we do travel as a pod, uh, and uh, they're all part of our inner circle, but we change gender and roles. In, in other words, your mother in this life could have been your husband in a previous life, or your brother in this life could have been your mother in a previous life, but we still retain the same essence. It's a recognizable personality identity that that we can recognize in each other. Um, So we've been together over many, many lifetimes. We know each other on a very profound level, and we're well-versed in each other's karmic issues. So we come together either because of a karmic contract that we're fulfilling uh, and then we present to each other challenges or hardships, or we present support and encouragement. So one of the exercises that I have uh, my clients go through is to name, you know, the, um, well, you know, we start with their parents because the choice of parents is ours. And this was one of the early realizations I had that I loved to share with my children. You know, you chose me. Um, uh, so Dr. Weiss, Brian Weiss said that we, you know, we choose to live out patterns that are going to afford us the most growth with the souls that will most effectively manifest these situations in our lives. So, you know, and um, so our parents are physically responsible for getting us here. And we have a karmic agreement with them that's either going to challenge or to help us, but the rest of it's on us. So, you know, we'll look at them and we'll say, what opportunities for growth will so-and-so have? If if I choose him as my father, what opportunities for growth, what lessons will he teach me that would not have been possible had I chosen another father? So like I said, we look at all sorts of, of, uh, of, of the situation, like 
what what's the socioeconomic uh life I'm going to be born into what's my race going to be what are the finan- family dynamics going to be and then with our parents you know uh, one or both could have been with us in a prior lifetime sometimes they come together with us as a pretty much as a package deal so um Roger Wolger Dr Roger Wolger had said that you know the incoming child is drawn to a particular mother or father, not not so much out of choice because many come in with a lot of reluctance. And, and I came across that in my research that people, I don't want, I really don't want to come in. I really don't want to deal with that person as my father or my mother. But, um, you know, they they presented different aspects of what we were going to need so certain parents re-stimulated old karmic residues within your unconscious psyche, you know, the unborn child's unconscious psyche, and therefore, you know, you, you chose them. Like with my my parents, my mother, I had no sense of her whatsoever. I loved her very much. She was a wonderful mother. I But I had no sense of her. My father, on the other hand, I had a major issues with him. And I and I and yet I felt a, a tie to him that I didn't feel to my mother. Um, uh-huh. We had a lot of unresolved uh, karmic issues that um, that I'd hoped to resolve in this lifetime, but unfortunately didn't. Uh, but I knew he had been with me before. As a matter of fact, I did see him in a past life regression, but I never saw my mother in the regression. But those two came as a package deal. So, um, so anyway, we we choose our. You know, I'll say to them, "Who did you choose for your mother, and why? What is it that she taught you that no other woman, as your mother, would have taught you? What did you learn from her?" So those are all factors that that are that come into play. And then after you pick your your um, your parents, then you go on to uh, uh, you go back to your soul family. And you go, hey guys, um, I'm going to come into life. My name's going to be Susie Smith, and I'm going to work on issues of abandonment because in my previous lifetime, I had I was a male and I had a family and I just walked away from them. And um, and so your soul family will say, okay, well, all right, I'm going to come in with you. I'll come in as your husband, and at some point in time, I'm going to walk out on you because then you're going to understand what that feels like and that's going to balance that karma so many times the members of our soul family will choose to come in with us out of love to enable us to enable our souls to work through that karmic issue but it won't feel very loving at the time that they're that they're doing their thing with us and um but if you remember, and this was really hard for me, I remember the first time I went to a unity church, the minister was talking about radical forgiveness. And she had said that that whole concept about a soul comes in with you for a purpose, for a reason, and does it out of love, great love for you. If you could keep that in mind, then it's easier to forgive whatever incident happened that was hurtful to you. And and let that go and move on. It's not easy. I'm still working through some of that myself, even though I know, you know, I know what's going on, 
but it's hard because we're in the physical bodies and we're experiencing the pain that's associated with some sort of uh, emotional, uh, you know, hurtful situation. But that's the role of the soul family. They come in. Now, some of them will come in strictly to support you, encourage you, provide unconditional love. They may have provided that in a previous life and said, you know, it's going to be kind of rough for you. I'm going to come in and I'll be there for you. So all those decisions are made prior to you coming into a physical body so that everybody's in place. It's like a it's like a movie. It's like a cast of characters, and they all decide they're going to take on these roles and interact with you uh, once you're all back incarnate again. So, um, so then when you sit, step back and you can look at everybody in your life, see the role that they're playing. You know what? What? Uh, what have they enabled you to learn? What lesson did you get from interacting with them? Then their purpose becomes all the more clear, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent. And then it becomes a lot easier to forgive them and move move on. But they, as as well, though, have contracts that they're working on at the same time. Exactly. Yes. Yes. It's multi layered. Yeah, yeah. Which is, you know, what a a dance. (laughs) You know, when you think about it from that point of view, yes. Um, But when you're living it, it doesn't feel like it. You don't stop to think about dissecting it to see, you know. Um, You're my child. You, You and I have issues. You grow up, you marry somebody else, you have issues with that person, then you have children, and you have issues with those children. You know, So at various points of life, these characters come in and out of our lives. Now, they don't have to stay through the whole lifetime. Some people come in. Mm-hmm. That's why I ask people, I said, do you have anybody in particular? Did you have a mentor, a friend, a, a, a business associate, a teacher? Uh, it doesn't have to be a blood relative who comes in and, and is part of your soul family. So there's people on the perimeter. There's people that you've got in the nucleus right in the center. But you've got people out on the perimeter, too, and they sort of come and go. So it's a beautiful dance. It's very well orchestrated, and it has a purpose. And um, in understanding that purpose, life gets a little bit easier to uh, to navigate. Well, there's also the element of free will, and mm-hmm. <clears throat> so so when you when you understand that there is a contract that you're not aware of that is ongoing, right. how do you know if you're on the right path or not? How are, are these tr- are these memory triggers and things like that put in place to to validate you and say keep going? Yeah, that you're you're supposed to go in this direction or how do you know? Well, you know, how does it feel? I mean, what are you, what are, you know, are you are you uh, constantly running into roadblocks or, or are there obstacles always in your way? Like, you know, it's like being in a maze. Maybe you made a turn and then you realize that it was a dead end and you had to double back, you know. That's what our ideal is set for, our soul's mission. That's what keeps us on track. It's like our internal GPS system, you know. So with me, my my ideal is to empower uh, and inspire through the written word. If an opportunity comes my way, 
that has absolutely nothing to do with that. And I opt to go and take that opportunity and do something else that doesn't fulfill my soul's purpose or is not in alignment with my soul's purpose, then I'm going to run into trouble. And I'm here to tell you I have run into a lot of trouble (laughs) over my years because I'm easily distracted. Things, you know, look so fascinating and interesting to me that I just go off and do them. It's like going on a detour, detour around your soul's purpose, but eventually it brings you right back. So you really have to pay attention to what's going on inside. You have to pay attention to what your guidance is telling you. That's one of the reasons I love teaching people how to do soul writing. Soul writing is a written form of meditation, uh, and it's you having a 24-7 phone home card to spirit so you could get advice and uh, and have questions answered on anything that that's troubling you. So it's like having an unseen therapist always available to you to keep your soul on track. So you can use this uh, form of writing, which I do incorporate in some of my past life regression work, not all of it. I didn't do it with the um, pre-life planning session uh, uh, research project because it was simply too long to include it. But the physical karma uh, session, I did do that. We included the soul writing at the end of that. Uh, And then I also wrote a, a book called Your Soul Remembers, which is how you can access past life information strictly with the soul writing. You don't even need to go through an actual regression. So um, it, has, it, it, it can be applied to almost any part of life, but what I use it for is um, advice on, on my soul's growth. What do I do next? And, you know, all through, um, uh, here's an example. I had started a, a holistic healing center at my local Unity Church. And um, now, if you say to me, well, Joanne, what does starting a holistic healing center have to do with your soul's purpose of uh, inspiring and empowering through the written word? It has absolutely nothing to do with it. And so it was not a pleasant uh, uh, experience for me. Uh, and I, I'll be honest, I suffered through it because I, I had started it. I volunteered to run it. Uh, and I, I just... But it wasn't a good fit for me. And all through that time, uh, when I was doing the soul writing, the message was very clear. You're supposed to be writing. You're not supposed to be running a healing center. What are you doing? And I would just, well, you know, I could do my writing there. And, oh, I'm I'm around a bunch of healers, and isn't that wonderful? And they can help (laughs) me and all this other. And I just came up with every excuse. And then COVID hit. And... I realized, you know, okay, this is not working for me, and I I let it go. It was so hard for me to let it go because it was my baby, and I was afraid if I let it go, would somebody, you know, take it over and, and, and continue it, which unfortunately did not happen. But now I'm writing again, and um, when I gave a, a, a lecture uh, a few months ago, um one of the women in the audience was um, uh, an assistant professor at uh, at uh, Virginia Commonwealth University in Richmond, and she said to me, you know, um, I went through breast cancer, 
and someone told me to read your book on soul writing, and I read it. She said it was my first introduction to a spiritual lifestyle, and I have been doing it ever since. And she said, you know, I'm I'm in the department of social work, so I'm one, I'm one of the professors that teaches social work to students at VCU. I would love to introduce soul writing to my students. So she was providing me with an opportunity, which we're working on now, of developing this tool in a more mainstream world. It was it, mm-hmm. This was one of the things I've always wanted to do, is how do you cross over from the more esoteric and metaphysical understanding of the way things work to a more mainstream audience? Because, you know, in my case, writing books about past life work, it, it doesn't appeal to the masses. It appeals to the percentage of people who believe in reincarnation, and it is not the majority, in, at least not in the West, it's not. So, um, but this is something that I realized that could be taught to anybody. Anybody could do it. Um, You could usually get something on your first try. It's basically a written form of meditation. So if you think of Mm -hmm. prayer as you talking to God and meditation as God talking to you, this is you taking notes. And um, it's very powerful. And when I do it with regression work, it serves to fill in the blanks. In other words, you know, you can only get so much information in one regression session because you're working on it for an hour and a half or two hours. Um, and if you've had a lifetime that's spanned 80 years, you're not going to get it all in. So um, when I've incorporated the past, the soul writing, it gets to the core of the man. In other words, it'll fill in the blanks. So if you didn't talk about your childhood, it may tell you a little bit more about the childhood or or you might say, okay, great, now I know about this past life. What does this mean? How do I apply it to to my current life? Well, the soul writing will help you with that. So um, that's been really, spirit has been really um, putting the foot on the gas with me as far as saying this is what I'm supposed to be really focusing in on. Um, so I, like I said, I do incorporate it into my past life work and um you know i've written two books about it and then cor- used it with the physical karma as i said so um so there's a lot that's a tool that's a t- and we were all given that tool uh when we you know our creator put it in our little backpacks when he sent us little students back to earth to go to school so it's in there you just have to know to go look for it you know just dig it out it's and the, yeah. make that call to spirit because the lines are always open. <laughs> it, it is in the tool belt, you know, and yep. it was. It, it's kind of like, you know, when you buy a car, there are certain things that are automatically included, and then there's the, you know, executive whatever. Um, <clears throat> I have found that um, sometimes the ego gets in the way. Mm-hmm. And and with me, if I'm... If I'm going in a direction and I and I suddenly hear myself saying, "Oh, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. I've got it. I'll take it from here." I know that I am. Pro- I'm trying to jump ahead faster, and so I think I know where I'm going. So I go in that direction instead of allowing things to evolve in that direction. And mm-hmm. 99 times out of 100, well, probably 100 times out of 100. Who am I kidding? Um, 
I find I have made the wrong choice because I did it intellectually as opposed to waiting for a call or something to flow in that direction so I could go along with it. And it it, it makes it very difficult because, you know, you, you want to know where you're going and you want to participate and you want to get there faster. And yeah, yeah. there is a, a set pace on a soul level. And mm-hmm. flowing with that and being patient with it is a very difficult thing to do. Um, every now and then somebody will say to me, you know, you haven't really done anything new lately. What do you, you know, why aren't you doing this, this, or this? And it's like I'm, I, my answer is well, I'm waiting for the door to open because mm-hmm. when it opens, I'll step through it. Mm-hmm. But, but if it's not time for me to step through it, if it's time for me to be doing more work internally, then that's what I'm going to be doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know, with the with the ego saying, "I know where you're supposed to go. Let me get you there. Let's, you know, I know I know the quick track. I know the express train." Um, and and you know, even at my age, you know, I want to get there faster. So of course, you know, yeah, yeah, it, it, yeah. it's very hard. Um, I want to go back to the the um, Council of Elders because oh, yeah. that was fascinating to me. Um, you asked everybody to describe their council of elders, and everybody had a different council. Um, do you have any idea as to what it was that that set up the different council for every other for, for all the all the different people? Um, well, many of them said that these these entities had been with them before, so. Um, you know, the Council of Elders, for your listeners who, who aren't familiar with, are they're they're very wise beings, they're ascended masters. And they've been with you since the beginning of time. So they know uh everything that you're working on. Um usually, you know, when I asked what the council chamber looked like, you know, when you go in there, um Many of them described it as a, looking like a courtroom or a senate chamber. You know, they all said it had like a it was all dome shaped, or they would say it had ancient architecture. Um, and then they would say the elders are seated at a table, like you saw in Da Vinci's Last Supper. Um, and they all have this this um, more of a prosecutorial is that a word prosecutorial? Yeah. Uh, um, aura to them. In other words, they were judges. They all wore robes. They many of them were old men with white beards and, you know, sitting there kind of looking down at you. But that that's a stereotypical uh view of the elders because that's not what that was really all about. So they would see anywhere from 5 to 20 elders. And they were I asked them what they look like and most of them were male, uh, followed by female, but they had a percentage of them that were androgynous, and then there was a percentage of them that appeared as nature or spirit entities. Um, some of them saw biblical characters, which was interesting because when uh, Dr. Newton did his groundbreaking work in Life Between Lives, he said not a single person that he worked with saw a biblical character on their dais for the the elders. I had 
almost everybody saw a biblical character from Mary, the mother of God, Mary Magdalene, even Jesus, Moses, the Michael, the archangel, you know, other angels, archangels were there. Um, uh, and so one woman, I remember when she said Jesus was there, she just burst into tears during the the uh, session because she just felt like, you know, she she didn't feel worthy of having him there. Some of them described the council as kind of funky characters, you know, um, and others said they were just ordinary, ordinary folks, you know, that were, that were sitting there. And um, so the elders are mindful of your soul's karmic debts and your need for specific lessons. So they give uh, wide-ranging counsel and the recommendations they make are according to what your soul needs, not what it wants. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, it's a it, it's like a you get this panoramic review of every single thing you've ever done or thought or said in your life, and um, so you see not only every action that you've done, but also the effects of those actions on other people. So, but there's no judgment. They're not there to wag a finger at you and say, boy, did you really screw up. Just the opposite. Um, The judgment, if any judgment occurs during that life review with the elders, it's a judgment that comes from within you. So there's no court, there's no judge, there's no jury. Uh, It's you looking at everything that you did and you said and how it impacted not only you but others around you uh, that it enable you to, you know, to work through um, what you're going to need to deal with in the next life. So from there you work on the karmic issues. So you make a list. And so people said among their karmic issues might have been anger or guilt or forgiveness or, um, you know, uh, letting go or balance or worthiness. So you make that list and then, to sort of offset that, you say, okay, well, what are your karmic attributes? What are the things that you've brought in with you? And they would say things like, well, healing or uh, leadership abilities or intuition or, or empathy. Uh, so those things, you know, offset the the uh, the karmic uh, issues. And so, based on all that, then you go to make come up with your soul's ideal. It's like working with, you know, guidance counselors at school where they go, okay, you need to take Algebra 1, you need to take uh, History 305, or, you know what I mean? And and you come up with that list of, you know, okay, here's here's your curriculum, kiddo, you know. um, Now go find, go tell your soul family what you want to work on, see if they'll come in with you, and same thing with your parents. So that's all part of that planning process. So... So when, so in in successive lifetimes, is that council of elders the same, or does it change lifetime to lifetime to lifetime? I, since I only did one lifetime, I don't know. Uh, I imagine it's the same because, like I said earlier, you know they've been with you since the beginning of time. So it's the same group of folks that you're working with that are helping you design these lifetimes. Um, whether one of them will change out into somebody else, I don't. I don't know. Um, 
I also don't know if these, if these, because uh, uh, some of them, it, it was very um, odd and very confusing when they would say that they, that that it was a tree or somebody said that yeah. it was a whale, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, what? How did you get advice from a tree or a whale, you know? Um, but it was symbolic of something else, obviously, and that's why that image appeared to them. So, so I I don't really know, and and you know, twenty is a lot. I mean, that's way more than the average. Um, so it, it usually is five to seven, maybe uh, elders you mm-hmm. might you might have working with you. Um, but I would have to do multiple regressions with them to find out if the if they they changed out or not. Are they basically disincarnate spirits, or are they spirits that have incarnated so many times that they can take a shift off and be an elder? It's both. Um, the angels obviously are are uh, disincarnate. Um, uh, some people will see a relative on on in the in the group. Um, That's yeah. Yeah, or, or somebody that was a relative in, in one of their lifetimes, they recognize them. Um, but the biblical characters, obviously, they were once in a body. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, and I don't know about the nature entities. I don't. I don't quite understand um, how that works. You know, I, I think of myself as a reporter for the universe, and I just I, I just do the research and I take notes, and you know, sometimes uh, I sit there and I, I, you know, absolutely do not want in any way, shape, or form to be judgmental. Um, uh, so I, I, everything that they tell me, I, I accept as as truth. That's their truth. I mean, that's what they're seeing. I'm not doubting. I'm not negating anything anybody sees. Uh, but but believe me, there are times when it's it's news to me, <laughs> and I'm yeah. like, well, and you know, and you can't stop at that moment to really think about it because you've got to keep moving through the session. And so it's like, how in the world can a whale be your spirit guide? I don't understand. Well, I can but, you I know, can I can see how an elemental could be a guide. That's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That yeah. that that makes sense to me. And yeah. that, you know, the elementals are, are, are evolving as well. A whale and a tree? I don't know. But, um, well, but the one that was the whale said, she said that she just loved the water and swimming and the way she felt when she was in the water. So she was resonating to to um, water in some way. So I don't know how it went from I love to swim to, I don't know, do you love to swim with the whale? I don't know. Unless she thought of the whale as a, is symbolic of wisdom? I don't know. It could be. I mean, a lot of this well, yeah. is, you know, yeah, I mean, a lot of this is just um, symbolic of something higher. Uh, and that, that only they know. So they're not going to spend time explaining it to you. You you know, you ask them a specific question and they give you the answer of what they're experiencing at that particular moment in time. But we don't have the luxury of actually taking apart every little answer that they give and then you know, um, going through that a little bit deeper. But it's fascinating, I'll tell you that much. Yeah. I, I, I always say I've heard it all, but I haven't heard it all. <laughs> well, the, the other the other thing that we haven't covered is, is picking a body. 
Yeah. And yeah. and and those characteristics, because given the option, I, I I would think all of us would want to be, you know, tall, blonde, blue-eyed, beautiful, long legs, and you mm-hmm. know the whole thing. But but obviously we don't choose to come in that way because there's so, there's such a wide range of body types and shapes and everything. So how does how do how do how does a past life or past lives affect the choice of a body for the next lifetime. Well, okay, so, you know, you first decide whether you want to be male or female. And obviously, every everyone has a layer of male and female qualities with, within them, but we generally pick one gender over the other about 75% of the time, and then we carry that essence. So I have been a female. I've been predominantly female. Um, and but I've also been male, but not as often as I've been female. And then with other people, it's vice. It's it's the opposite, where they've been primarily male. Uh, uh-huh. And um, uh, I had a friend who I had a past life with, um, and she came in as female, although she had been predominantly male. And she just said she remembered that she was supposed to come in as male and at the last minute went into a female body and, and was not happy about that decision for most of her life. But but it happens like that. A lot of them, um, the, the choice of sex is generally more uh, desire, uh, is more from desire than from physical earth incarnations influences. So, in other words, um, it's what do you want to accomplish in that body? So, a lot of women would say, "I want to be, I wanted to be female again because I wanted to experience childbirth, or I wanted to be, <laughs> I wanted to be, I don't know what, I wanted to be nurturing." Yeah. Uh, and then the men would say, "Oh, I." And a lot of people would say they really liked their body from their previous life, so they searched for a body that looked close to what they had before because they liked it so much. Others chose a body that maybe would have a tendency toward obesity, um, and that could have been karmic uh, to choose that because they they may have either made fun of obese people uh, in, in, a, in the previous life and now they were going to, experience what that felt like or you know the opposite um uh so the men had the hardest time accepting that they had been female when i would do a regression on a man and and he would talk about being female oh i the resistance was overwhelming like i don't want to be her i said well you know your spirit has chosen for you to see this particular past life so you know kind of let's go with this so um yeah so you um you select the body for what your soul wants to accomplish. So whether it's a, a, a body that's going to give you a challenge or a body that will give you privileges and open doors. Some I had some women say that they had problems in a previous lifetime because of their beauty, and they didn't want to deal with that this time, so they chose to be in a body that was not as attractive as the one they had before. Or health issues. A lot of people deal with um choose bodies that are challenged by different uh, uh, health concerns. So there's a lot of thought that goes into it, um, and that's one of the considerations when you're picking parents because, you know, basically, genetically, 
what your body's going to be predisposed to uh, to looking like. So this was an area that I hadn't really given much thought to, um, but Dr. Newton had done a lot of that uh, that work. So I thought, well, I'll, I'll just ask the question and see what people say. Well, it's, it's interesting because both you and I um, suffer from allergies horrifically. Yeah. Uh-huh. And yeah. and you know one could say, well, it's because there's a greater sensitivity to the environment, and I mean I can I can make it sound really spiritual and, and a wonderful thing to have extreme allergies, but that's not necessarily the case. What would be the the reasons for that? I mean, it keeps it it restricts one's one's action, it restricts one's ability to function at certain times of the year or in certain environments. So why would one, and this is just a guess because we don't know, but 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 what would you guess? I don't know. I mean, I would think, uh, I, I. this is going to sound strange. It's not that I have an aversion to nature, but I have lately felt that nature was more against us than for us. And uh, and so, I mean, I would go out if I wanted to take a walk. I have a, my house overlooks a lake, and if I would take a walk, I had to worry about ticks. And, and uh, you know, if I'm sitting on my deck, I have to worry about being, you know, wasps. And and uh, one day there was a, a snake on my deck, and I'm like, this nature stuff isn't for me. <laughs> I like to look at it, you know. I love looking at it. I mean, I chose this house because of the lakes because I wanted to be inspired, and I am inspired by nature. But but um, I must have had a really difficult pioneer life or something in which I had to battle with, uh, you know, with nature. And, and uh, I don't know. I mean, this thing with the allergies with me is relatively new. It's never been this bad before. Um but any any kind of a physical uh, condition that you're dealing with, um, when I wrote the book, um, Karma Can Be a Real Pain, uh, that's what we looked at. We looked at the past life origins of people's chronic conditions, so people with diabetes, uh, heart disease, um, people that had, you know, muscular joint issues, um, even people that had addictions, um there was we we did our liver and kidney problem diseases we we really looked at that to see uh because i remember dr norm Sheely, um who's done tremendous work in the area of intuitive medicine said um that all he believed all illness was was uh, had a past life origin and so that's what that's what set me on the um on that research mission for that book uh, so there is a, a reason for it. I had a, um, a a man, I'll never forget, he came in with um, arthritis, but it was only in his thumbs. And huh. we, he went he went back to a past life in which he was in the, uh, in the Civil War. He was a Confederate officer, and he would wield his saber and aim at the thumbs only of the Union soldiers and the reason he did that he said i didn't want to kill them but i wanted to maim them in such a way that they couldn't shoot a gun or hold a sword so in this Uh lifetime he has arthritis only in his thumbs i just thought that was fascinating you know now that's that's cool 
Um, yeah. <laughs> I think yeah. I think with with me the, the the hysterical part about all of this is I am a gardener. I love flowers. Um, um, I have to um, have a garden. I have had tremendous gardens wherever I went, and even where I am now, where there's not the soil for it, I've got several dozen pots with flowers in them that I tend on a regular basis so that I I have to have plants around me. And mm-hmm. yet I am I am highly allergic to pollen and, and all sorts of stuff. So so this is the universe laughing at me, you know? <laughs> you know Yeah. I have a gardener and and she just keeps telling me, Walk barefoot in the grass and Get down and dig and put your hands in the soil. You'll feel so much better. And I said, well, you'll feel better. I won't feel better. And uh, so she's like, you know, she's very wise. And she was just, but she always says, well, I just do gardens. And, uh, and I'm thinking, yeah, you do a lot more than gardens, but you don't know it. Well, um, earthing, you know, earthing, yeah. Yeah, yeah, earthing is very yeah. important. And if you do walk barefoot on the soil for, for at least 20 minutes a day, it synchronizes your heartbeat with the earth beat with the heart your heartbeat with the heartbeat of the earth and it does make you healthier. Oh, good. Well if I can manage so, to go outside for twenty minutes a day I'll do it. <laughs> I mean there there was a there was a time when, when I lived in Connecticut that I would in in probably February I would get so frustrated that I couldn't get my hands in the dirt and stuff that I would go to a local um, nursery and stuff and they would let me walk in my bare feet in in their greenhouses so that I could get my feet into the dirt I mean it sounds it sounds ridiculous but when you stop and think about Native Native Americans they did not have the um, same allergies that we do or or, mm-hmm. or or problems with arthritis and stuff like that. And it's because they were in such sync with the earth energy that, that it did mm-hmm. help to keep them healthier. So earthing is a, there's a, it's a very short book and it's called Earthing and it's out there and it does explain the whole thing and, and it, it makes a great deal of sense. Yeah, I'll have to look into that. Yeah, yeah. it's, it's, when you stop and think we we have isolated ourselves from the earth energy i mean with concrete with shoes with sidewalks with you know cars i mean you don't you know most people don't get their their feet in in the in the grass much mm-hmm. at all mhm so so we've we've kind of separated from that connection that we have with nature um i i did want to go into um some of the some of the other stuff because you know, it's it's so important for people to understand how a, a past life experience can can really impact you greatly in in your choices as to what you even do for a career. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and I I think this pandemic has given everybody a time out so that they could figure out if or if they were or were not going in the right direction. So if somebody was really trying to figure out what their mission statement was, what their purpose in life was. I mean, I mean, going to you for a past life regression and finding out what your soul statement was is, you know, a, a cool thing. And and your website is www.joannedimaggio.com. 
Mm-hmm. So yeah, so, I have yeah. I have all of the I have all of the different types of regressions that I do. So if you have a specific question or a need, there's probably a regression that would be, you know, more in line with with that. There's also a quiz on there that you can take. It's kind of fun uh, to figure out which regression uh, would be right for you. But all of them um, will help you understand at least, at the very least what's impacting you today why it'll it'll answer those why questions like why am i dealing with this relationship issue why are these behavior patterns repeating themselves um you know uh uh why can't i handle money or uh why do i have to deal with this chronic condition um there's a lot of questions that a basic regression can do but um the physical karma regression will take them will will deal specifically with a chronic uh, condition and the uh the uh pre life planning session the one we're talking about tonight uh will help with um uh understanding your soul's purpose what's your mission uh who are you, why did you pick your parents and all the things we talked about so far will come up in that session so so if somebody was on a spiritual pathway and and everybody is but you know consciously on a spiritual pathway what would you advise the best regression to to um to do the the life between lives or or looking for the past life that most greatly influences this life well i think well the the regression um comes with all of the sessions it's just the only difference mm-hmm. is that you know uh we'll tack something else on to the the back of the regression that'll deal specifically with a chronic illness or uh, per- life purpose. The traditional regression will take them to the lifetime that's most impacting them now, so they'll see what was the significant event in that lifetime that happened that was so important it created a, an imprint on their soul as unfinished business, and they brought it in with them to work on. So at least they'll get that answer. They'll know what it is they're working on now and why. What was the originating uh, uh, event that happened that set that up? Uh, they'll find out um, what were their last thoughts. Was their soul left their body? They'll look at what are the parallels between their current life and that past life. So what are the things that are going on that are uh, that are similar? Um, and then... Are there any people from that past life that are in their life now? And if they are in their life now, uh, what's their purpose? So that's the general regression. Uh, I also have one in which you could tack on the soul writing, which is like adds another half hour to the session. And in the soul writing, I'll, I'll teach them briefly how to do it. That's when they get that backstory or or the advice about how to go forward, or just a message from spirit to give them some solace or encouragement. And while they're writing, I'm writing as well. I'm asking my friends upstairs to provide a message that I could give uh, give to them uh, on their behalf. Uh, so there's that session. And um, there's physical karma. Uh, we do a scan of the body first as we're doing the relaxation so that we, um, I ask them, you know, if we're working on their feet, about relaxing their feet, I'll say I want you to scan that part of your body and tell me if you have any sensitivities or discomfort or if there's a birthmark there because a birthmark often uh, is a remnant of a past life wound of some sort. Um, 
And then, of course, the, the one we were talking about tonight, the life between lives, is simply the regression, and then we go into the afterlife. And then we, we go through that whole planning stage of, of the life that they're living now. So they're all various lengths, and, and uh, uh, you know, uh, but you get something out of every single one of them. It just depends on whether you want to go in uh, a lot deeper and... Um, because there's more involved with the physical karma one and the pre-life planning session uh, in terms of how long, they're about three hours each, um, uh-huh. give or take, you know, give or take. And everybody that does the regression gets a, a written transcript. So um, I don't record them because spirit likes to erase my recordings. So I've given <laughs> up and uh, I uh, now I give them a, a, a written transcript because i can keep up with them i'm taking notes furiously while they're talking and i i'm usually i could do shorthand so i keep up and then i send them the the written transcript which could be anywhere from three to eight pages depending on how much information uh Uh you know they got so they can go back and refer to that um uh later you know I, i tell them let it sit for a while let it marinate this information because it's a lot to absorb you can't really process all of it as as it's being shown to you. You need to just sit back and give it a little time. Um, and then also because after a regression, it doesn't end then. Spirit knows, oh, she's interested. She wants to know more about that lifetime. So you'll get some bleed through. And bleed through is merely, um, you know, you might be, you might have a dream. You might be getting a flashback by reading a book or in the shower or driving your car or something like that where um, you'll get this instantaneous flash of something from that past life. And that's just Spirit's way of giving you some additional information about it. So that's pretty common and and uh, very normal. But I just warn people to watch for that, watch for synchronicities, because uh, you've opened that door now and, um, and Spirit is glad that you did and is going to provide some additional information to help you understand that aspect of your soul's journey. Well, I think also getting some sort of information as to the purpose of this lifetime also helps people. I mean, that's, you know, you think you're on the right track, and yet this this would give you some sort of confirmation. Has, has oh, it yeah. ever happened that you've, you've been working with somebody and they've decided to do that, you know, find out what their, their mission statement was and... <clears throat> And it turns out to be completely different from what they thought they were doing and they thought they were success at doing? I think sometimes um, that sort of information they don't necessarily share right at that moment. Um, I've had some people who said, oh, I thought that's what it was supposed to be. I thought, I've been thinking about that for a while, but I haven't done that. Or you know they have all they have their reasons for not doing it. It might be out of fear, it might be financial reason or or something like that. but um, I think it touches them deep on some deep level that this is true and this is right for them and But you know what we talked about earlier, you have free will, and uh-huh. you don't necessarily have to you know follow what, what spirit is encouraging you. Or, or gently reminding you, hey, you, you, you're the one that said you wanted to do this, <laughs> so we're here to help. You know, just, uh, just give it a try. So, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, why, you, 
Yeah. A, a while back, I I made the declaration, jokingly, but but not so, that I was fed up with karmic death, that I wasn't going to pay any more karmic debt this lifetime. I was going to roll it all all over to the next lifetime because I wouldn't uh-huh. remember what you know what was hitting me. So yeah. it would be fine, you know. It would be like, oh, I guess this is a tough lifetime because cause I'm done with paying karmic debt this lifetime. And then, you know, it occurred to me that I, I'm pretty not. I'm pretty sure you can't do that, but it it was a good thought, you know. Well, if you don't finish it, if you don't finish it, well, some people go through their entire life not even knowing that they're working on anything. You know, mm-hmm. if they don't explore it, or or if they if they don't um, if they don't feel that inner dissatisfaction that that something is not right here, that that there's something going on in their life that they um, that doesn't make any sense, and and you know, there are people who go through their entire life they don't do any work on themselves whatsoever, no inner work at all, and I don't you know they approach life from a completely different perspective than than you or I do. But eventually, um, you know, if you you put off a class that you have to have in order to graduate, you're eventually going to have to take that class, whether you want to or not. (laughs) So I would say just do it. (laughs) Just do it. (laughs) Okay, so I have a question that that was not covered in your book, but it's it's sort of a question that, that has been floating here and and so I'm going to have to ask it and I if you if you honestly, you know, I'm I'm assuming you don't know the answer, but if you do, I'd love to know it. So so we reincarnate hundreds, thousands, maybe millions of times. Well, Where are we going? Going back home. We're going back to spirit. We're going back to where we came from. Because but we do that every time we every time we pass over. So why not know? permanently? We don't. We can't. We don't stay there permanently. Because but we could because we didn't. You know, they don't. There's no, no gun well, to our head to reincarnate. Well, we've come here to learn to be a companion of the Creator and to experience on the earth things that we cannot experience in spirit. You mm-hmm. know, emotions. Um, physical uh, sensations. Um, all of that is part of our long-range curriculum. So once we made that decision that we were going to, you know, and I, and I don't, you know, I've heard the creation story, the one that Edgar Casey teaches, but there's a lot, a lot to the creation story that I don't know, so I don't want to be you know, um, pontificating about it. But um, but that's my understanding that, that um, you know, we decided we wanted to experience all that the earth has to offer. And until we're finished and we've experienced everything there is to offer, we we just continue coming back and taking additional no, I, courses. Yeah, no, I would yeah. agree with that. Um, yeah. my, my current philosophy is that we are, on a jury journey to become a creator ourselves at some point mm-hmm. in time, mm-hmm. so that we're not going home because what we're learning the creator already knows. So, oh, yeah. you know, we're not taking information back. So that so that it feels like you know, and you equated it to school, 
Mm-hmm. And it, 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 it feels to me at this point in time, and it's, this is only my opinion, that that we are we are doing this through time to the point where we have gathered enough information to to be a creator in perhaps another dimension or universe and scatter our own seeds so that we can create another universe. Mm. That's an interesting concept. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's just you know, I mean, there is a creator, obviously. And, and we're, we're a part of that until we have graduated. And once we graduate, we transfer and transform into another dimension where we become the creator and we scatter seeds from ourselves. Mm-hmm. Well, to me, it makes I, more I know. sense, you know. Yeah. We do go I, to I, other, going, I know we've been to other planets. and um, Oh, yeah. In the off off season we're not on the earth um, no, I, I did i did a um a, a past life reading for somebody once and i just you know he stopped me dead in dead in my tracks and he he was laughing and i said you know this is going to sound so weird but you're a green blob and he said i know <laughs> <laughs> oh that's good i like it that is. <laughs> It was like, you know, there was awareness there, there was consciousness there, but it was like green jello. And and he said, I know. And and I said, you know, do you have well, any idea where knows. you are? That's he, interesting. Yeah, he, he was laughing. He said, I was wondering if you would pick up on that. And I said, I, you know, there's movement, there's flexibility, there's all sorts of stuff, but I I feel that there's nothing solid under you and he said no in that particular lifetime there was no physical but there was a another kind of um environment that mm-hmm. that they existed in and and of course I didn't have time to really go into it which I would have loved to have done but mm-hmm. but yeah there 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 are other dimensions there are other planets that, I mean for heaven's sakes you know I've worked with only I can count on one hand the number of clients that have said that they are from another planet or remember a life on another planet. And mostly they came to me because they're dealing with a difficulty to assimilate into uh, into our world. Um, uh-huh. And they're dealing with tremendous loneliness and yeah. isolation and... Uh, so, um, but I had one that was in one of my study groups, uh, my research group, and um, he was a blue blob, not a creep blob, <laughs> a blue blob. Okay. So maybe that was the sister planet, I don't know. But uh, tremendous uh, healing knowledge. Um uh-huh. That he brought in with him. So, um, yeah, it doesn't happen very often, but it does happen. Uh, oh, yeah. But, uh, I, but, you know, my feeling is this, that um, I try to keep my work as simple as possible because uh-huh. the goal is to heal, is the healing of the soul, to enable the soul to, to advance. So many times when we talk about other dimensions or we talk about parallel lives or we talk about 
souls breaking into strands and going into multiple bodies or quantum whatever. Um, for a newcomer to this, that scares the bejesus out of them. And oh, sure. then they, they they won't pursue this because it's just too far out and it's too over their head. So it's for me, I try to keep it simple and I try to appeal to them in as much of a mainstream way that I possibly can. Uh, a lot of people will say to me, you know, I'll say, why do you want a regression? Oh, I was just curious. Or, <laughs> you know, if they, if they want it for entertainment purposes, I generally will not do it. Because to me, this is sacred work. And um, so I'm not here to entertain anybody. And I don't do readings. That's the other common misunderstanding about this work. A past life regression is not a past life reading. They're two different things. The Uh regression requires you to do the work. I'm just your guide. I'm guiding your soul. And you're going to, you know, your soul's going to pick out the life it wants you to see and send you those images, but you need to work through them. You know, whereas a reading, um, that information, a lot of that information is provided to you. So, um, So I have to be cautious when I work with people, like, do you really want, are you really ready for this? Are you really ready to do this work? Because it's serious and it's sacred to me. It's divine. And because mm-hmm. um, it's about your soul, you know. Yeah. And uh, and so, uh, and people leave it, leave a regression changed. Um, they either have an aha moment at some point. You know, there's a lot of emotion sometimes that's released in the course of a regression which is a sign that it's the real thing. A lot of people are like, oh, I'm making this whole thing up. And afterwards, none of them say that because they know they would not They would never have made up a story like that. So um, it's powerful. It's transformative. Um, and you only need one, usually you only need one session. Like if you go to a traditional psychotherapist, you're sitting on that couch week after week after week after week. But with regression work, you get right straight to the originating issue, right to mm-hmm. the core, right to the root of the problem. And that's why it's so powerful because, you you know, you get to that root and you work through it. Now, you could be somebody like me who um, worked on one particular past life for years because I really just didn't understand what the heck was going on with this. And, and then I was meeting people that I knew from that lifetime and that added a whole other dimension to it. So karmically, it was a lot for me to get through, and it took me a long. But I also think it was because I'm that's the that's the uh, you know the the path that I chose. And I think to be a really good past life regressionist therapist, you you had better work on your own past lives first, you know, before you start to you know work on somebody else. And that's why you know there's a lot of these weekend. Uh, regression court, you know, you go for a week and then you can hang your shingle out. Well, I don't think that's, um, no. <laughs> I don't think that's enough to be honest with you. So, uh, but, uh, but anyway, I, well, I, I, no, just, I, uh, you know, to me, the mission statement, you know, makes so much more sense. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if you knew what you were here for, um, at least what, what in regression you know the mission statement was that would that would be of the greatest value to me because yeah. you know what you know what if 
I was meant to be a concert pianist, and I got into this metaphysical sidetrack. And, you know, for 50 years I've been doing metaphysical work and all sorts of stuff like that, and my fingers have just been dying because they couldn't do the concert stuff that they wanted to do. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to have to do one of these things to make sure that I'm on the right path. (laughs) Okay, yeah. I mean, look, you know what? I signed up for piano lessons when I was in the second grade, and Uh my parents said, no, you're you're too young. Uh, but if you want to do it in third grade, you know, we'll reconsider. And sure enough, third grade, I signed up again. Uh, and I I, played, I took lessons for eight years. Um, did I become a concert pianist? No. Um, did I want to be one? No. I don't know because I had a, my teacher told my mother when I quit in a fit of rage because uh, <laughs> I didn't want I didn't want to play anymore, and I got very dramatic and ripped up my music. And oh my. Uh, the, the teacher. The teacher said to my mother, that's too bad, she's got a lot of promise, which, of course, my mother did not bother to tell me. <laughs> so if she had bothered to tell me that, I may have pursued it, but I thought I wasn't any good, and I thought I wasn't pleasing anybody to hear me play. And here, you know, she said I had all this promise. So um, there's that's a whole karmic story unto itself. Um, had I played piano in a past life? I don't know, maybe. Or did I just simply love them? Because I was, it was classical music I was studying. It wasn't mm-hmm. popular. And um, Or did I just simply love that music and wanted to bring it into my life? I don't know. But um, that's, that, those are some of the things that you look at. I, I teach a course called the Resonance Method of Past Life Recall. It's for people who are afraid of hypnosis and don't want to do that. So we do a psychological profile of the things that you love in your current life and we play detective and kind of piece things together. And uh, So that's one of the questions, uh, you know, look at your childhood and see the things that you resonated to as a child. Uh, you know, what games did you play? What did you dress up like as for Halloween? And, you know, in my case, it was the 18th century and the music and all of that. But uh-huh. there's there's so much information that we have um, available to us if we just take the time to really look. Oh, absolutely. I just I, I just looked at the clock. Um, <laughs> we have talked oh, yeah. our way through two hours. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not surprised. <laughs> we we must do this again. Um, yeah, anytime. No, I I think that I think that you know you've given such wonderful information. Again, your website is Joanne DiMaggio. J O A N N E D I M A G G I O dot com, and um, I, I I want to thank you so much. This has been such a fabulous show, and I've so thoroughly enjoyed myself. Thank you for sharing your wisdom with us. Well, thank you, Barbara. I enjoyed being with you again. And next time, let's do it when it's not allergy season. <laughs> well, with me, that 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 does not that does not exist. I'm, I'm the, the allergist looked at me and said, "For you, there isn't a season you can breathe in." <laughs> oh no! Oh well. well God love you. Okay, well, thanks, Barbara. I enjoyed you're it. You're welcome. Me too. Good night now. Good night. I want to thank everybody for being here. Do tune in tomorrow night because Mark has a great show in store for you. And uh, check out the YouTube channel. If you like what you see, please subscribe. That's how we know you're out there. Until then, good night, everybody. Stay well, stay out of trouble, and keep the lights on because that's the only way you're going to be able to read some of these fabulous books. Good night now.